Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey guys, welcome to And The Writer Is. I'm your host, Ross Golan. I've written with hundreds of artists and writers over the years, and my favorite part of each session is the first hour when we catch up about life, the industry, politics, composition, whatever. So this is a journey of learning why people write songs, how people write songs, and most importantly, who the people are who write the songs. I'm producing this with the great Joe London, Big Deal Music Publishing, and Mega House Music Management. If you want to listen to the songs we discuss in this podcast, follow us on our socials, find out about special live events, or buy that merch, a.k.a. that hat I always wear, go to our website, www.andthewriteris.com. For a little bit of context, we just wanted you to know that a lot of these were recorded before quarantine. And as we know, a lot has changed in 2020. So again, please stay safe out there and enjoy the new episodes of And The Writer Is. Welcome to And The Writer Is. I am your host, Ross Golan. Today's soulful Grammy-winning Diamond-certified pop star literally has a separate page on Wikipedia for the awards for which she's been nominated and or won. Her songs have been number one in over 26 countries. She's been a judge on a TV show. She's a household name. Not bad for someone still in her mid-20s. But before all her success as an artist, she was penning singles for others, and shocker, she still does that too. She is an advocate for the LGBTQ community. She's an advocate for songwriters, and she's my friend. Raised in Massachusetts, this woman cherishes her family above all else. I mean, literally, her mom was featured on one of the songs we wrote together. And finally, she's about to release her Christmas album, aptly named A Very Trainer Christmas. And the writer is, with a bun in the oven, Megan Trainer. Yeah, that was the craziest intro ever. For all the times we've written together, uh, I've never said that to you before. Never. It's especially crazy coming from you. That was so cool. Um, first of all, congratulations. Thank you. I made life. It's inside of me. So weird. So what an weird. Amazing, like why, you know, my wife and I talk about this, that, in you know, how how there was ever a a culture in which men thought that they were ever superior to women how do they not realize that that y- you women are the ones who can actually like superhero create other human beings? I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, I saw there's this awesome TikTok where this girl's like, just so you men know out there, uh, there's a new study where women can make babies with their own bone marrow and all those babies are females. So watch out. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> 
It's crazy. Yeah, bring it on. It's a good thing. It'd be good for our hu- human race if we had yes. more women in control. Um, okay, so let's let's tell a little bit of your story. I mean, I know that it's it. Some of the things seem very well known, certainly to us. But for those who don't know you very well, uh, you know, you're you're an East Coaster. Let's start from the beginning. Born to your parents. Yes. Uh, a very close family. Tell me about your family in. Uh, Massachusetts. Um, I had a very, yeah, East Coast, Massachusetts. I grew up on a little island uh, called Nantucket. Most people know it as like Jaws the movie. It's kind of that, only in the summer. Or it's where the New Yorkers go to vacation. Um, Yes, I grew up there and my father was 20 years older, is 20 years older than my mom. So I had a very cool dynamic and he was married twice before. So he's already lived like eight lives. By the time I showed up, um, I was born in between, in between. I have two brothers. I'm the middle child, no sisters. And uh, my dad played organ in our church. So from a young age, I was watching him perform and play music my whole life. And we would always have jam sessions where we'd party in our house and he would play all sorts of instruments because he was also a music teacher. So he could pr- pick up and pretend to play any instrument. And then I, I started writing songs in my bedroom because I thought all the pop stars did that. And I was like, well, I'm going to be a pop star. I love to sing. I wasn't good. But I wrote these songs. And one day when I was like 18, I wrote all about that bass. And it took me from songwriting land to pop star land. And I've just held on tight ever since. Um, How's that? That is the... That is the briefest 18 years we've ever had. <laughs> I mean, I did, you have, did you ever sing, sing in church? Yeah, I sang all the time in church with my dad. Um, I, was, like, I was really cute because I would sit next to him uh, while he played the organ. So I would just watch and be amazed. Because it was one of those, like, you pull out for a flute sound and then you press the bass with your feet and my feet would dangle over it. And I'd be like, oh, my God, if I jump down, I'm going to hit a monstrous note. Um, so I had a really cool experience and, uh, growing up and my dad always had instruments everywhere. Like I found a guitar in the back of a closet once and I pulled it out and I was like, I want to learn this. So we had bongos everywhere. It was just, we Did were you guys play religious music at home. Were you thinking that you were going to write religious music? No, my dad, he was like super cool. He would play us like James Brown and earth, wind and fire. And my mom would play us quite stuff like Billy Joel and and Wilson Phillips and Madonna so I had like the best range of music and then when I was seven my uncle who's from Trinidad and Tobago brought in calypso music into my life and that changed me forever in the best Your way uncle from Trinidad? bro I have an uncle from Trinidad Tobago so I grew up with soca music and like calypso music and that's literally what's in all about the bass like nobody knows but the mama, she told me, don't worry about your size. Like, I saw Trini. <laughs> Crazy. Um, when did you get your, you said there were instruments around, but when did you start actually trying to write alone? Do you remember the first song that you wrote? Yeah, I didn't really, no one was like, here's how to write a song. So I was playing heart and soul on piano. That's all I knew at the time. I was so, I was like seven. 
and I wrote a, a new song with new lyrics over heart and soul. <laughs> and it was about my uncle and my aunt getting married. And I was like, my auntie and my uncle walking down the aisle. It was something like that. And <laughs> yeah, then I like learned like, oh, I can change chords. <laughs> when you were in school growing up, did you perform for, for those people? When when You said you weren't a good singer. Correct. But clearly you figured it out. I mean, you I had to. figured it out. Did you perform ever in school? Did you ever learn in school? What was, you know, what was your, you know, what what is it like growing up in? Nantucket? Um, <laughs> it was cool. It was definitely, like, different than a, a lot of other a lot of my friends, but I, I grew up and I was in choir and I was in band and I was in jazz band and I played trumpet since third grade. I'm not good, but it taught me so much. And, and eventually in high school, I got to start going up and singing the song instead of playing the trumpet. Um, but he would always keep me back there. So I'd be back and forth. And I remember when I was really young, my dad would host the March of Dimes on Nantucket. So it'd be like on channel six and it'd be like my dad hosting the whole March of Dimes show to raise money for babies who need help in hospitals, like premature babies and all of that. So I was young singing with him, like our church songs on that show. And it was, I look back and it's the most embarrassing stuff. I'm, the outfits I'm wearing alone huh, is crazy. Um, but I sounded very measly, which I still do, but it was like, like bad, it was bad. And then when I was 16, I went to a summer camp, Berkeley's summer camp in Boston for seven weeks. And my roommate sang way better than me. And I copied how she sang. And I went home and I remember my family was like, whoa, you got better at singing. And I was like, oh, I'm a thief. <laughs> like, who, who I stole is talent. Uh, her name is Bethany. I still talk to her to this day. She has two beautiful babies. And um, she sings at church now, like full time. She's awesome. Did you think you were ever going to do anything besides music? No. And I never was worried about it, which is crazy. Because looking back, like, what a scary career to pick. But I was always like, no, this will be, this is it. I'll do it because I'll be good. I was super confident. I don't know why. But in my songs, like, because I would also produce the songs myself. So I would deliver full. I noticed I had, like, my, my dad would bring me to ASCAP uh, songwriting competitions and expos and i noticed at a really young age i would already have either better songs or more produced out than like a 30 year old there you know so i felt confident like okay i'm young but i'm i'm learning and i'm gonna be quick and he made me do that twice the second one was durango in colorado and i remember being like i don't want to go back man they just criticize your music and it's tough to hear because i was a baby but I wrote a whole new album, produced a whole new album by myself. I was like, all right, I'm going to show them this year. And I did. And that was the year that I got signed by my Nashville publisher. When you said you produced your first album, um, people who've worked with you know how good you are at vocal arrangements and how good you are at playing instruments. But explain how you produced an album at this point, you know, were you doing it all at home in a computer? Were you having friends play on albums? Were you playing all the instruments? 
How did you produce those first albums? I wish I had friends that would play instruments for me. I know I was alone in my basement. My dad and I built this little studio in like a boiler room or something. It was like a once like an old storage room and we turned it into a little studio. Um, and I, I just, I learned how to produce when I was like 13. My dad bought me this equipment. He's like, I don't know how to use it. I don't know how to produce or write songs, but figure it out. And then I learned with my keyboard, like, oh, I can make a horn sound here and like I can make drums. And and I taught myself over the years, like produce a full song out. And every day after school, I would if I didn't have a sport, I would go write a full song and produce it and show it to them by dinner time. And that was like my rehearsal and practice. You know, your 10,000 hours, that was them. And they were great. guitars and play all the instruments and play bass on the keyboard because I couldn't figure out bass but there was a song there was a competition of rock the mic every year and I went up there and sang my little goofy song called waterfalls and it's like (laughs) you got me tripping over waterfalls and I became the waterfalls girl I was like a little celebrity in my school like oh my god that's the singer the the waterfalls girl and that, that mp3 still lives somewhere and it needs to be burned it needs to die <laughs> but yeah, they loved should be, it should be on a deluxe well, i don't know if people do deluxes deluxe. anymore, but, uh, they make us do it yes we have deluxe <laughs> yeah. uh, strange strange times yeah. um so I think what's what's nuts is like you go from writing. I assume then you said you wrote all about that bass at your parents' house, and then you went to college. No, no, there was a weird year where I I wasn't in college. I never went to college, and I was I jealous. Went to or you went to Berkeley for summer that summer program? Yeah, it was like camp. Uh, okay. It was summer camp. I did that two years in a row, like fifteen and sixteen, which was terrifying, but it was awesome. Um, so you got to live like a college student and go to classes. It was hard, but it was great. Um, then when I was after that Durango trip, the second one, Carla Wallace, my Nashville publisher found me there, watched me perform, wrote a song. I was on the big stage and that's like only the iconic legendary songwriters get to do that. And I would tell my dad, like one day I'm going to be on that stage. And I was there the next day. He was like, okay, babe, you got up there. <laughs> um, cause we wrote a song like in one of the rooms the day before it was crazy. It was all crazy. Uh, and then I got a publishing deal, like eventually, like a year later when I was 18. Um, and it was weird because it was one of the times where I went, I performed, I sang like six songs on my guitar and my ukulele, showed them I could do it all. And they were like, you could be an artist. And I was like, yeah, okay. And we left that meeting. My mom and I were like, what happened? Like, did they even like me? Like, what are we getting out of this? And then they they ended up signing me. And then I went to Nashville for a year because I was jealous. I was like, mom, all my friends are in college. Nobody's home anymore. I'm living on Nantucket with you guys. Love you. But like to travel to Nashville, is such a haul from Nantucket and to go to LA, it's like the other side of the country. It's far. And I was like, can I go halfway? Can I go somewhere? So I lived in Nashville for exactly a year by myself in a cute little apartment um, that I could afford with my new publishing deal. <laughs> And it, it felt cool. I was like an adult for a minute. When you said that they they 
said, you could be an artist someday. Did you ever think you could be anything but that? Like when you were going to these writing things, were you thinking, oh, you know, no, I'm just a writer. Or were you, was it always the idea that you'd be the artist? At the writing conventions, I started learning like what a publishing deal is and how there's people out there that are like superheroes that write all the songs that you love and you never even met them. And then I started getting so much extra respect for songwriters of like, oh, that's so cool. I want to be like superhero. And then, and I was so insecure and confused about like what I have to look like to be an artist. And am I confident enough to perform on stage in front of all these people? Oh, sorry. My mom went outside. Um, and my dad would even tell me like this L.A. Reed guy, he talks about having it. And I don't know if you have it yet. And I would say like, don't worry, dad, like I'll figure out my looks when I'm like 26. I'll be a huge songwriter by then. And then I'll figure it out. Like I try to make a plan for my insecurities of no, 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 I'll work on my looks and then I'll be a pop star. Like it's so stupid, but that was, that was my truth. And I was like, I could be a songwriter. I can like deliver and go in with talent and prove like every session I made sure like the person was impressed or I've noticed people would go like, wow, you're great. You should work with my friend over there. And I would get my own sessions after a while of like, climbing through friends being like, thanks guys. <laughs> what would you tell that age you, if you go back about, you know, the, the, the young woman who thinks that she has to change her looks in order to become a pop star. I would say you're so flipping cute and you have no idea. And the glow up is so real. Um, <laughs> And I would say, like, don't let your insecurities stop all those secret dreams you have. Because every time I, I would go to, I went to like a country music award show and my heart would just be on fire of like, I could do that. You know, I would always have, if I saw someone perform, I never could enjoy it because I'd be like, well, I could do that. I could do that and do it better. I should be up there. And I'd have those moments, but I wouldn't like, be super loud and vocal about it. But I always knew too, I was a songwriter that wasn't like, like I could go to a songwriting round and hold my own at like 17. So I knew like, there's like something beautiful about this. Maybe I'm just that songwriter, like Chris Galbuta, who's just like amazing talent and can perform anywhere. And it sounds better than the artists. And I, was, and I had to ask a lot of songwriters, like when you give your songs to a singer who maybe can't sing it as good as you, does it break you a little bit or like, does it ruin the song? And some people would be like, yeah, but it's just the job. And I'd be like, oh, that's so sad. That's so crushing. You know? So I had so many questions. I mean, you, you have so many songs recorded by other artists that don't sing like you. Do you... Oh, yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of them that I'm so impressed with and I freak out. Like, um, we just had Earth, Wind & Fire on a song and I was nervous because, like, they're older, but, like, the dude still sings. Like, perfect. And and it's always, like, when I'm, like, here's a song or if I'm even doing a duet, I'm, like, here's your part. I'm, like, oh, God, I wish I was there recording you and, like, telling you how to do it because I, like, I'm obsessed with vocal producing. But... Um, some people deliver and like that's when I cried tears of joy like when I heard John Legend on like I'm gonna lose you I was just like oh my god don't touch it it's perfect and then sometimes you hear songs um it's usually if I compare myself to a female singing my songs 
where I'm like, oh, no, you don't have as much like rhythm or you don't have as much feel or the vowels you sing make it sound so different than what I was going for, you know? Yeah, I'm sure. I, I mean, you know, even I'm not really an artist, but still there's, yes, there's always... Well, I mean, I guess I am. I've released albums recently, like in the I'm last wrong year. Man. Come on, <laughs> but I, I guess, I guess the idea is that my, uh, I think most songwriters still play the demo, you know, and they listen yeah. back to the song. I think when the song comes out, they still often go back to the demo and they're like, "Check out this." This is I've heard demo. too. I've heard people be like, like to a shy Carter, you know him. Yeah, of course. I've heard, like, I think I've heard stories where he's like, they tell me you're never allowed to release your version because they know, like, he has so much swag and soul that they're like, no, 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 no. I have a version, I have a song that uh, it was just gibberish of his melody. So good. And we listened to that. I had to write, I was trying to write lyrics for it. It was for APG or something, for Mike Karen. And I could never write the lyrics, but I listened to that melody so many times. I could still sing that melody with gibberish lyrics just because his voice was so good. So good. So, I, amazing. Um, your first two real major releases are not ones that you release for yourself. They're, but you wrote them with Shay Mooney, who is not really yet you know, uh, Dan and oh, Shay. Yeah. And, and Jesse Frazier, who is not yet songwriter of the year, you know, somehow you got, you found other people who are really talented. And, and what's interesting is your, the first two cuts before your, your major label debut are with fifth harmony and with rascal flats, which really kind of epitomizes who you are in so many ways that it's just totally opposite <laughs> yeah you know how did you feel experiencing that level of you know release was it did it start making you question whether or not you should do the artist thing or is it no it know? was like uh it was just more confidence and more power to it it was like you're a songwriter and like with that power you can use that forever like maybe you won't want to be or like you don't have to be in the face or the artist forever. But with that power of being the songwriter, know that you're secure. And later in life, if you want to be like, I just want to write songs in my house and be a mom and stay with my kids and have the best life. Like you had that. So that was like the best feeling of like, OK, people like our songs. That's great. Um, yeah. So and then that came out, yeah, like right when I was becoming a pop star and learning what hair extensions are and transforming into this young pop star that had no idea what was going on. So it was like a really Tell awesome thing. Probably Reed thing before you get to that. I mean, you're you know at this point you're in Nashville and there aren't a lot of pop stars coming out of Nashville. There there are some, but most you know it tends to be mostly country. You're there. You're signed to a mostly country publishing company. So how does somebody in Nashville get discovered as somebody who has potential in the pop community? So random. Um, Carla Wallace, my publisher, man, she made friends with everyone. Everywhere I went, they were like, oh, we love Carla. Like that. She's just like a lovable human being. And she always made sure her connections were always good. Even if, you know, the labels, how people just switch in and out or jobs get moved. I remember she had a really good friend in the A&R position and I don't know what happened, but he wasn't working there anymore. And there was a new guy 
Paul Pontius, who became an A&R. And she immediately jumped in and was like, hey, I'm Carla. I used to talk to the other guy. And now I'll be your friend. And she sent him like 15 of my songs. She would just send everyone my music. And we're like, we're looking for all about that bass. We're looking for a new artist who's confident, curvy, and wants to sing about it. And loves doo-wop. Like, it was so specific. Oh, doorbell. And I remember they said, like, L.A. Reid loved it. Like, apparently he walked by and heard it and was like, who's that? And they're like, some Nashville writer. And then they said, well, go find her. Like, go find her. Go interview her. Go see what she's like. And then I remember Carla like, hey, get dressed up today. You're going to be performing for L.A. Reid's person or something. I was like, okay. So he came to the office. I wore a backwards hat. God knows why. And I performed like three other songs, not all about the bass for this guy. And he was like, do you like performing in front of people? And I was like, yeah. And then he's like, he's so ca- casual about that. He's like, all right, well, you should come out and meet L.A. Reed someday. And that was it. And then the next week I was on a trip that was already booked for songwriting in L.A. where I go for like a month at a time and I have sessions booked out. And I texted him like, yo, want to get coffee? Which like I didn't drink coffee. I was just trying to have an excuse to message him. And he responded, do you want to play for L.A. Reed tomorrow? Like perform all about the bass, which I didn't know how to play because it was like tracks in my head. So I had just my ukulele and I learned the three chords that it is. Realized, oh, I can do this. Practiced all night long. Sent my parents a voice memo at midnight, which was 3 a.m. their time. And they answered and they were like, you sound great. Make sure you smile. And I went in the next day and I had to like dip out on a songwriting session to do that. So I was like, I'm so sorry, but like I might be auditioning for a record deal. I don't know. I went there, waited four hours for L.A. Reid. And then um, was practicing the whole time. Paul Pontius was recording me like, you're adorable. And then. Then he came in finally, and I've been told, you've been told, like, everyone knows, like, he always wants a big crowd. So he came in with, like, five people, and I said, is this everyone? And he's like, oh, you want an audience? Okay. And then he went and grabbed the whole floor, because I should shut my mouth. And then we had a whole room of people with their arms crossed. I was so terrified. And then I said, hey, everyone, I'm a singer-songwriter. My name is Megan Trainer, and this is my song all about that bass. And I started performing it and everyone looked like, looked like mm, not impressed. And I was like, Oh God, my heart was like pounding. I messed up so many times. LA Reed was singing it with me. He's like, like trying to make me feel better. So I just zoned in on him and I was like, we're having a good time. Right, buddy. And then they're like, okay, you can wait in this room and we'll discuss. And I was like, cool, I hate this. And I went into a room of all white walls, all white everything. And I was trapped there with no phone, no nothing, with my thoughts for 45 minutes while they played the song over like 16 times. I think Ellie Reed was trying to convince them like, we can we can work on her. Like we can wrap this up, it'll be good. Like, And then I finally an assistant came in and was like, do you need water? And I was like, I need my phone. And I texted my whole family, like, I blew it. It don't expect anything good. It's that it's not going to happen. And then Paul Pontius came in and was like, we got you a deal. <laughs> I was like, no way. It's crazy. I mean, nuts. It's like you hear about the stories of how people get signed. 
but usually it doesn't happen necessarily that fast. Why do you think that they were discussing, oh, we can, you know, what, what makes you have the feeling that they because were talking, oh, we can I, wrap this? Because the song sold it. Like, it wasn't like, oh, May, like, usually they literally told me they signed another girl who was beautiful, had like the best voice ever. I don't know whatever happened to her, but she's beautiful. She had the best voice ever, but she had no songs. And they decided to not sign her that week and sign me instead. And I was like, oh, Jesus. I felt so bad, but she was like really young. So I was like, okay, she'll be fine. But it was literally the song. That one song. Everyone's like, you just need your one song. That was my song. And it carried me everywhere. Why do you think... Um, I mean, there's you've had hits. You know, why is that so big? What is it that makes that song the biggest of the songs? Like in the last 10 years, it's got to be, you know, like a top 10 biggest kind of song type thing. What, it, what about that song works mo- more than other songs? Um, I never figured it out uh, before. I, it was like my least favorite song I had. And so we were all my family, too. We were like, this is the one they like because I was writing like big, beautiful pop songs. And that was like a fun day of like, let's do like doo-wop, doo-wop, doo-wop. Let's do like old school vibe and no auto-tune and just like really just have fun um, in that session. And that's what came out. And they didn't mix it. Like it was the same mix as the demo and they mastered the demo. So it was raw in my ears. I was like, oh Lord, like none of the backgrounds have auto-tune. This is embarrassing. I was scared. And then one day I heard it really low on the radio on Nantucket and I was like oh what's this and then I was like oh my god it's me and I thought like okay maybe the science of the beat is like it's it's easy as a lullaby like it's easy for babies to understand and then it makes the old soul people feel like oh she bringing it back and then it makes the young sassy people think like I'm confident too I need this right now hell yeah because there's nothing on the radio like that at the time at the time, it was all EDM. And I remember being like, there's only EDM on the radio. This will never get cut. And we laughed about it. So I think because it was so different, it was so weird. It was so cute and confident and honest. But it, it was also like I sang that as a character. I put on a character. And I remember being like, screw it, I'll sing it. And we were laughing like, who would ever sing this? Who would ever pull this off? And... um yeah, it just it it worked so well with the world. I remember being embarrassed when I did the music video, putting that out, like how I looked, how because I'd never done glam before. I never wore a dress like that. Like you know me, I'm like black leggings, black jacket. <laughs> I was in a dress, a light pastel world. I was like, this isn't who I am, right? Like this is just a character. Uh, yeah, so it was all terrifying. Do you think that that ended up defining you in a way you didn't want to be defined? Um, like I really it, liked the Halloween costumes that everyone did, but it was really hard. It took me like two albums to go back to clothes that I liked wearing. And huh. because I'm not like, I'm not fashion first. I didn't grow up with the fashion magazines. I didn't grow up knowing how to do makeup. I just figured that out at like 22 and now I'm 26. So it's a new thing. <laughs> But so I just trusted them and was like, I get it. You're right. Like, if you ask me, like, what chords was you, I could do that. But like, if you tell me I should wear this, okay. But what bugged me was that they had me in corsets, um, which is just like that brutal 
sucking in your tummy. So your waist is like tiny. And I was like, isn't my whole part like that I'm confident in what I have? And they're like, you look great. I was like, okay, guess this is how pop stars work, you know? Yeah. You When you were saying that we didn't know who would be able to sing this, you wrote this in Nashville with an, a fellow Nashville writer. Mm-hmm. And was the assumption that it was going to on somebody else? And then that said, did your co-writer, um, did he feel like, was he excited about you releasing it as an artist or did he yeah. not really? There was a time that, that time I would say, t- I was taking a lot of sessions and people were like, why don't you just sing the song? I got that a lot. And I'd be like, ha, 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 I can't. Like, no, I don't know how to be an artist yet. I don't know how to, like, get a deal. I don't know that. And this song kind of got the deal for me. So when I told him about that, he, he, well, he actually, in the session, was one of those, like, you should be the artist. You should sing this. We should do a whole doo-wop EP together. It'd be so fun. And I was like, yeah, we should. It'd be awesome. And we started doing that, actually, before we even knew there was, like, a record deal. We wrote Title, uh, another song that's, like, old-school doo-wop but mixed with pop. It was very cool. And we wrote like one other song. I can't remember. But then I told him like, dude, they're, they like the song. And he was with me the whole way of like, do I sign an album deal? They want a whole album now. Like I was supposed to sign just the song. And he was like, do he was very helpful, him and his wife. So that was nice to have. And then they told me like, uh, this is what confused me. The label was like, okay, go with that person for everything. And don't write with anyone else. And I've never done that. I was always like, I just got into songwriting where I collab with everyone. And I loved collabing. So when they were like, one person, go there every single day. I was like, okay. And I did. But it was, I I knew in my heart, like, a song like, like, I'm going to lose you. I was like, I have to bring this in. And bang them sticks in 3 a.m. There was like four of them that I brought in. And I was told, like, you're going to ruin this album if you try to not write everything with Kevin. Mm-hmm. And it was spooky, but I had to like stand up for myself. And the one moment where I was like, okay, I'm, I was right was when John Legend picked like, I'm going to lose you to sing on and made it what it was. And I was like, oh my God, now I have to always trust myself. That's the hardest part is like opinions everywhere. Yeah. I mean, lips are moving is pretty notorious as far as what it's about. Um, Cause it, it, it was about your A&R not to put words. <laughs> You know your mouth. Or at least that's what I, I've heard yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, to come out with songs, it took almost it took a song like like I'm gonna lose you to really. It took nine months. That was a whole pregnancy. <laughs> <laughs> to like pop off, and they were like, "No slow songs, don't do this." And we're like, "Okay, well, we, I just want it out as a single. It's, it's the fourth one. It's okay, or the yeah, the fourth one. It's okay." And then it like really took off and I was like, Oh my God, thank God. The first song that you have after that, or maybe even simultaneously that, that another artist cuts is Marvin Gaye, Charlie Puth featuring you at the same time that you're breaking. So is he, and you become a big part of that. It's almost like a new movement of sorts. Yeah. Um, how did that feel working with a uh, fellow artist? 
I this is so random. I met him at Sean Kingston's house. Is that right? Yeah, Charlie Puth. I was working with Sean Kingston because I love Sean Kingston. And I'm Charlie was like in the kitchen. And I was like, What's up? Who are you? And he was like, I'm a songwriter. And you know, he's like cute and awkward. And he started like his confidence tool was like, like let me show you my music. And he showed me his he had a song with Jason Derulo and Stevie Wonder and like the gods. And I was like, Oh, what the hell? Who is this kid? And he Show me he produced it. And then I didn't even know he was a singer. Then he played me Marvin Gaye and I lost it. I was like, I was trying to be really cool. I was like, that's a really cool song. Like, good for you. But then for the next like three weeks, I would message, I would show him videos of us playing that song. I was like, please send it to me. I'll never leak it. I promise. And then I would start singing to it and show him like, I know every word. Ha ha ha. And he was going to give it to another artist, but it wasn't a good look. And then I said, please let me sing on it with you. Like you should be the artist. You should just put it out. And I was helping him when he did see you again. Cause he, it wasn't out yet. And I remember they called him and they're like, we want like a Chris Brown to sing this instead of you. And I was like, that's so whack, man. It should be you. And we went to a Grammys after party and I introduced him to who's our guy. Who's the guy that just released a song? The diesel. I introduced Charlie Booth to Vin Diesel. And I was like, he's the guy that wrote that song for your new movie. <laughs> he was like, oh, it's you. And I think he got a look at him and was like, you're cool. You're cute. You could sing it. I don't know. But I hope that helped. And then the, they just changed their mind. And they're like, okay, Charlie can sing it. And I, I warned him. I was like, okay, this song's going to be big. You're a boy. So your experience is going to be different than mine. Like all these fans are going to attack you and want to be in love with you. While me, they just want to wear my skin and be me. <laughs> it's like for you, they're going to want to marry you. So we're going to have to figure out what's your favorite pose when they go, I need a picture. And you're walking down the street. And it was fun. It was fun to have someone to tell them, here's exactly what I went through. And I remember him saying like, oh, wow, everything you said would happen is happening. So it was cool. Did you think that writing hit songs was easy at that point? Um, kind of, yeah. With All About the Bass, I was like, oh, I didn't even like that one. Imagine one that I do like, you know? But that was a hard lesson to learn. That was a slap in the face of like, oh, I think this is my best work yet. And it just like did nothing compared to what those songs did, you know? And I still, being the artist, I perform those songs and everyone wants the hits. So I'm like, y'all let's move in. And I'm like, oh my God, I have new stuff that's like so good and I can't even get the chance to get it out yet. Um, so it, it is like, it's funny. We always laugh at it and we're like, these songs, dude. But then when you see the crowd, it like brings you back to day one. And it just gives them so much joy in life that you're like, oh my God, this is magic. And you snap out of it. I mean, Mick Jagger is out there currently singing Satisfaction. Oh, yeah. Know? No, that's like, our big, that's our also my, like, I was scared that I would regret it, which I never years would. Behind him. You're yeah. 50 years behind him. You're going to like, he's still Dude, singing Satisfaction. But that was our thing. I was like, wait a second, am I going to be, because I wasn't known as Megan Trainer. I was known as the bass girl. So I was like, oh, bro, am I going to be the bass girl forever? And he's like, yeah, dude, rock it out. Like, you know how some people like that, that thing that made them famous, like my husband with Spy Kids. He's like, I'm Spy Kids forever. I was like, yeah, but you're not the bass girl, dude. <laughs> like Spy Kids is sick. The bass girl is like the girl who loves her. Cur like, I was like, I'm going to be 70. Like, I'm not about the bass. 
But <laughs> but then I realized I had, had to get over that. I was like, oh, it's the coolest thing in the world. And now I realize like, I want to be a hundred years old singing that and be like, you remember this one, you know? Well, and it's not a one, it, you know, when you have, if that was all you had, that's one thing. We're still, we haven't even gotten yeah. to the second had hits like you still you it's not a one hit wonder situation it's it's yeah. like a you know, it's, you're, it, when you're when you're an eight hit wonder or something like that it's not really a, you know what i mean it's a different thing thank god <laughs> yeah, for real it's super rare it's really hard to do it's just it's when you're in the middle of it it seems like well that's my life but that's really unusual yeah yeah it's really cool the thing like thank god i have um the other songs and it's it's really nice to have. And I think that's why my career like is still alive somehow, but it's so crazy because bass was so big. Like one of those freak songs that never only happens once in a while that it like, I'm still, when we do promo stuff, they'll be like, I'm all about these holidays. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm the, I'm all about person. I was on Kelly Clarkson and her whole script, she was reading it and she's like, why am I all about these things? And I was like, yeah, sorry, that's me. That's a, that's a me thing. And she was like, Oh, I got it. <laughs> like right. it's, she's like, at least you don't have ah, Kenna Clarkson. <laughs> I was like, yo, that's hilarious. <laughs> so I think everyone has their one thing. Would, um, do you think it was winning the best new artist for the Grammys that made people recognize you differently than being, the all about the piece because i i don't feel like at least in the in the business i don't think people think of you as the all about that bass girl because you've had so many albums and you collaborate with so many different people that yeah when do you think people realize that this is not the all about that bass girl uh yeah i think i'm very lucky with the industry people know me as songwriter which is awesome um the world still like definitely when i meet fans i'll be like wait you wrote that so I still get that a lot. And um, I think the Grammy, like everyone, uh, well, not everyone, a lot of people forgot that I won that Grammy or they're like, wait, you have one, you know, it's like a, it was such a small thing in their lives and it was a, my everything. It was like my stamp of approval of like, you you were supposed to be the artist. You're, you are supposed to be the face. Um so yeah, I think a lot of people in in like a lot of fans in the world still don't know. Uh, like there was an article put out recently of like I'm mad I didn't know how hard Megan Trainer works, which was awesome because they saw a video of me and Nicole from Pussycat Dolls like uh, vocal producing her, and they were like, "This is so cool! I didn't know she like went to the studio." You know, it's crazy. I may or may not have a video, a cell phone video of when. We did Painkiller with Jason. Yes, Painkiller, such a bop. Yeah, I just remember uh, that being, um, you know, I can name the two, three artists that are really good vocal producers. You know, I think you and I think Ari. You know, I'm actually probably I can't even think of a third one that can really compete at the <laughs> level that you guys are at. You know, and Thank and like you. Charlie. It's like the three yeah. people I know that are really, really like A-list at vocal producing. And I, I don't, if you know, it's one thing where when you're vocal producing, it's not just, no, no, I can do it better. I can do it better. I can do it better. No, it's really getting in there and change and, and, you know, working. Knowing the how to manipulate it. Yeah. That's Knowing- why like I get, 
knowing how to manipulate it, knowing all the harmonies, knowing all the counter yeah. melodies, knowing all you know the different parts that go along with vocal production. Yeah, but let's go. Let's go on a little bit because the next album, "Thank You," you come out with "No" and "Me Too," which are also very big songs. What? But the aesthetic had obviously shifted from the previous album. Uh, how do you feel looking back at that? Those were massive songs, also. Um, how do you feel about those being the records that came out and? You know what? What is that era following up? Title. That was um, awesome while writing it, and brutal in my head while releasing it. So while writing it, I was with Ricky Reed, and he's like my hero. And and I was like, I can't believe I'm in this room with you. I was acting really cool, um, but I was writing with him lunch money a lot, and um, I remember just like trying to find new writers. I think that's when I found you. Mm-hmm. And was like, okay, there's more people out there. I can work with other people. This is great. That was like my chance to like, bleh. and when I found Ricky Reed, we were writing all these cool songs, but we never got one yet. Or I told him like LA Reed says, I don't have it yet. And I've been writing for months and months and I'm so frustrated because when you get told no so many times, you're like, okay, maybe I'm garbage. Like I went right into my head of like, maybe I just like suck now and it's not good. And I should just like, I don't know. I didn't know what to do. I was so upset. And then I was so angry one day that I took that anger from the meeting of him telling me no. And I went to the studio with Jay Cash and Ricky Reed. And I was like, can we do like an F you song to LA Reed? Like don't or something like a mean word, like, eh, like negative. And Jay Cash was like, no, like that's what it's gotta be. And I was like, oh, that's dope. And then Jay Cash freestyled because he's so freaking good with rap music. He was like, my name is no. My sign is no. My number is no. And we were like, what? And we were freaking out. <laughs> we were like, that's so dope. And it's so different than my doo-wop because my big point, too, was to come back and be like, I want you to say, who is, is that? Megan Trainer? Who is that? You know, I wanted it to be confusing. And in my verses, I brought my Britney Spears, NSYNC, Max Martin, like what I studied as a child. And I brought that in there. I also made sure to make it musical with the diminished chords and to have all the backgrounds, as many backgrounds as I can. I remember I wanted the backgrounds and the verses to be like Madonna's, like a prayer. I wanted it to sound important. And finally, Ricky Reed, I made him go with me to the hotel that Ellie Reed was staying at because I was too nervous to go by myself, too, too scared he'll say no. And we brought like tequila and we were like, we're really confident. I was freaking out. Ricky Reed's like, we got this, dude. We're like, we're really confident this is the one. And he's like, oh, yeah? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is definitely it. And he played it 23 times in a row because he was so in love with it. And we were like, ah! like We were so excited. And he called everyone on the team and brought him to the little room we were in. And we were all dancing for, like, hours to this one song. And it made me feel really good. Can I tell an anecdote about this album real quick? Yes. Okay. So I've only met L.A. Reed once. Okay. And it was a meeting. I was meeting with Chris Anacute. Shout out, oh. Chris. Yep, over. he was there. And, um, and you know, just to play different songs for wh- whatever it is. And uh, L.A. Reed peeks his head in and Chris says, you should come in here. You should meet Ross. You know, he's a, he's a writer. 
and uh, and LA comes in, and Chris is like, no, this guy's like a hit writer, and and Ali uh, says, oh, if you're such a hit writer, you know, what have you written that's a hit? And Chris goes, you know, he wrote like Dangerous Woman, and, and he goes, I-, I don't know, I didn't really feel that song. And he goes. <laughs> Um, he's like, uh, he's like, he wrote my house. He's like, he's like, oh, yeah, I actually kind of like that one, but I don't know. Play me some, play me something that play me a hit right now. And I said, I'm going to play you one song, but I'm going to play you one song and you have it and you've never released it. And this is, oh. this is on you. Oh my God. He, Which one is this? What? And I played hopeless romantic. And it's the only time I've ever played him. And that was like literally from that moment on, he goes, he's like, I remember him hitting up Johan, who I think was in Sweden, and they tried to get like drums on it. And oh, we're bro, like, you ruined that for me. <laughs> oh my what? God. You're the mess. Oh my God. Okay. You have no, you don't understand what this means. Okay. Okay. Yes. Tell me. Tell we had Hopeless Romantic, loved it. Chris Anacute, am I saying his name wrong? And oh, that's right. Yeah, they didn't tell me about any of that. They didn't tell me they were gonna put drums on the song or put bass on the song. And Johan never told me. So all of a sudden, I got a new bounce in my email of how the song is supposed to sound. And I said, "No!" I said, "What are you doing?" And I remember yelling at Chris and was like, "You are not my A and R." Do not touch my songs. And it was you, sweet Ross. Ross played no, it for no, no. <laughs> I'm not I'm certainly not the No, that's all boss though. I'm, I'm happy to to take the bus on behalf of the No, it but was I them, though. It wasn't it, it was the the was I only want being a rich, drummer. I only just wanted the original to come out. Yeah. It yeah, was yeah. something that um that uh LA really wanted there to be like a version that he could go to radio with. That was the quote. So I know that we were like aiming at like, what could we do? That's like stuff I don't understand. Or like, just like talk to you. That was the only time they went behind my back with music. They like never do that. So I was like, what's going on? Why are you you doing this? And Johan was like, I don't know. I bet you he was trying to be like, I mean, this is my weird theories. If you played him that song and he had to come back with an answer, I bet he was like, Oh, this is great, but it's not done yet. Let me put drums on it. And but you know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know. I have all these weird thoughts. Everyone no. needs to have an opinion. That song, that song is still one of my favorite songs that I've ever been a part of. And and that album, obviously, you know, I have a a plaque of it over to my left. It's like it, you know, it uh, another successful album. Um, after you know that, I got you- engaged to that song. What? Bro, I don't know if I ever told you. My husband set up this whole surprise thing where we were under these beautiful Christmas lights. My guitar player, Drew, came and hid in the bushes and played Hopeless Romantic. Because that was my song to Daryl every night at the tour. That's like my love song to him. And I'd be like, wherever you are out there, I'm singing to you. And he'd be like right in the middle hiding. That's our love song. Oh, that's (laughs) so sweet. I I feel closer now than ever. Yes. Um, You... After that, you know, you end up having records with Michael Buble, DJ Khaled, you know, obviously we had the Little Mix song, Faith Hill and Tim McGraw. Um, Were, you know, 
obviously Jason Mraz, Cascade, the list goes on and on with all these people that you write with that are are not you. You know, I mean, yeah. so you're featured on a lot of these, but you know, where in your heart are you? Like after that, after that album, it seems like there's this oh. influx of songs that other people are starting to cut. Do you start wanting uh, any space from being an artist? Or is this... Yeah, I collapsed after that album. I crumbled. I had to get, like, my second vocal surgery. But also, um, like, the first album, everything just came so easy that this second one, it's, like, songs I worked really hard for for months, and I really loved each song. So I was like, this one's going to be twice as good as the first one because I actually love every single song. And um, I released my album on the same day that Drake and Beyonce released the surprise album. So it was like, oh, no. But I was number three. Like, it was amazing. It was number three. It was so cool. And I took it as, oh, failed. Like, I took it as, like, me too. The most it went was, like, top 20. And I was like, oh, I failed. Like, because I never knew growing up what charts meant. So when my introduction to charts was like, you're number one, you're the top of everything. I'm like, what? Sick. And then when I was like, oh, I want to get up there. Now I'm like, if I get a top 40, I'm like champagne celebration. We're partying. Like, that's amazing. I had to relearn what all that stuff is. And then I had to be like, stop living your life based off of charts. Like who gives a F if you love the song, that's all that matters. And I learned that from like, the legends like Nicki Minaj, Katy Perry, they, they were all like, well, do you love it? I'm like, yeah. They're like, oh, that's it. It doesn't matter. And I was like, oh, thanks. That's what I needed to hear. So because you have to go and perform it. Yeah. Like one right or other, it's still you on stage performing. Yeah, and it's my face. Like if you're proud of what your face is on and what your name is on and what you wrote, like it's – and that's what uh, a lot of people don't know, too, is when you're the artist, it's not only like, oh, I have to go perform now. It's like, I have to design an album cover. <laughs> I have to, like, do every little detail of, like, what's going on my social media? Like, my name is on here. So there's a lot more artistic power that you have to learn. And I was like, God, I have to study Pinterest. Like, I don't know. <laughs> when you were on The Four, which is a TV show that was on a major network with incredible, you know, uh, fellow judges, like icons, you know, why, I guess, why did you do that show? Um, cause like you said, it was like icons and it was, and I, I learned that, um, when I grew up, I was so shy and insecure, but I knew I had the loud side for my dad. So when I grew in the industry and did interviews and was on the Today Show and I would just be myself, um, the reaction was really good. Like people loved, they're like, you're hilarious on that thing. And I was like, oh, I was just being myself. So great. So I knew like, oh, I could do a TV show and and pull this off and I won't panic and freak out. And to be next to those legends, I'm going to learn so much. It was like, let's do a dope summer camp. And that's what we did. It was a lot of hard work and I learned so much. And I remember in the beginning someone at my label was like, don't people do that when they're old and retired? And I was like, no. Like that was the whole theory of like, oh, women having babies, their career is over. Like, no, now it's everything's opposite. It's like we empower women now and like, like go get a TV show that's badass. So I thought like, oh, I can use my talent and I can help new artists out there. Especially when the songwriters came up, I was like, this is my moment back up. 
<laughs> so I thought it was awesome. And it helped me get to where I really want to be is like the voice. And I got to do the voice UK. So it, it's a nice another opportunity when you become a pop star of face. It's like, oh, I can go do other things um, besides touring all year long, you know, because that one is hard for me. What? Oh, because your voice or just... Yeah, your- my voice. I got to learn how to lip sync, man. I can't figure it out. I cannot do a whole tour without blowing my vocals. Like, yeah. these muscles are so teeny. And people who see my chords, they're like, oh, they're small. I'm like, I know they're not built for all of this, but I'm barely hanging on. <laughs> so I just, everyone's like, you can work them like muscles. And I'm like, my muscles get tired. <laughs> so I got to figure you- it out. You you mentioned being a woman in the music business. Have you found, um, you know, how has being a, a woman in the business affected you in a way that, you know, I guess it's different than any experience I've had. So how is being a woman in the music business? Um, I think besides being a woman, the fact that I was so young, um, I got um, a lot of inspiration to write songs. You know, I got talked down to a lot or I got told, like, you're new here. You don't know what you're talking about. And I could understand that if it was talking about, like, artwork or what my album should look like or this and that. But when it comes to my music and, like, what the production should be, that's when I would stand up for myself and be like, no, this is what I studied for 10,000 hours. This is the shit I know. Like, back up. And I would take that and put it into a song. Like, I wrote No Excuses about someone being like very disrespectful and being like, you can't pull that woman shit here. And like, like I've had that told to me and I'm like, Oh my goodness. Uh, do you know what's going on in the world right now? You can't talk to me like that. So it, but it leads to great songs. So we learn. Treat, treat myself is the, you know, it was, there was, enough time between the two. So clearly you sort of got a chance to gather yourself. And I remember um, we were at uh, the NMPA event. Um, oh, the award the one where I was like, award, this should yeah, be yours. NM- <laughs> yeah, that should have been your award, bro. I don't know what they were doing. No, it's all good. They, it's, it was, it's appropriately given. The, the point was that when you sang Waves, um, Oh, yeah. the, I remember all of uh, Billie Eilish's team singing every word to that song. It was crazy. You know, that it like, song. It was like Taylor Park's crew, too. They like they knew yeah. all the words and that was their favorite song, which I was like, oh, no, no one's going to know this because it didn't do as well as Me Too. And that, you know, so having those moments is like, oh, as a songwriter, I was like, thank God. Yeah. I mean, that's a really good moment and it's a good cosign when you see other people in the room singing along. It must, you know, it's certainly getting to somebody, you know? Yeah, you're like, okay, like someone understood what I was thinking when we did this. Why are you, um, why did you decide to do a Christmas album? Oh, I always was going to do a Christmas album because I'm a Christmas baby. I'm December 22nd and I got married on on my birthday and made it a whole Christmas theme. Like I was born to do this. Um, I just didn't know what year I could pull it off. And I was a little scared with the pregnancy and doing this. Cause I know how much work it is. And I didn't know what I would, everyone's different when they're pregnant, but I've been crushed in life. I luckily didn't get so sick. So when I was recording the album, I 
was like early pregnancies, like looking at my apps, like how big is it today? And it was, it was like super magical. And everyone's like, did you get extra creative? Did your voice change? No, I'm the same. Um, I don't think I'm more creative. I think it's just like doing fun Christmas songs with my bros at home is like all we did. Cause I was too scared, especially with the pregnancy. I'm too scared to leave my house at all. Like too terrified uh, with Corona. So it was like, it was like a nice escape for us to go do Christmas songs in August and, <laughs> and write originals. And you know, I wanted to write like 15 originals, but they were like, stop at six and then we'll do songs that everyone knows. And I was like, okay. So. But what, all the, of all the covers you can do where you're allowed to do any cover and be safe at it, it it'd be Christmas songs. Yeah. hundred percent. And it's like a cool way to show off like my jazz side. Like no one knows that side of me and I grew up singing in jazz bands. So it's it's really like my voice sounds different. It's not like, you know, it's not like sassy yelling at you. It's like a beautiful tone that's like classical. It's very it's very cool to show that side. Do you think of yourself as as an artist? Do you think of yourself as self as sassy? Yes, especially like my some of my hits. They're my more sassier tones. And that was something that like L.A. Reid, when I was writing the second album, he said, you're too happy and nice because all my songs were like, thank you, fans. And it's like, it was just like, I love me songs and that's just it, you know? And he was like, or even like old friends when we wrote, he's like, I miss the, the sassy bitchy Megan. And I was like, oh, what? I was like, but I'm nice. And I'm not always that. That was like a character. Like that side can get like it can get going, it can get angry, I can pull it off and do it and have a reason. But I didn't have like a good reason until that moment happened when I wrote No Excuses. And they were like, this is what we're talking about. We missed this sassy girl. And I was like, okay. So that's why um, a lot of those songs. You know, like, you know, you mentioned the old friends. We've done, we've written, I think maybe six or seven times. And I think, uh, five or six of them have ended up being on other people's albums. You know, is like, that real? <laughs> well, we did. Obviously, we had mom, and you know, which is a Mother's Day staple now. Thank you. Oh, it's in <laughs> every card. It's so cool. You know, um, like obviously that that's great, and we had a hopeless romantic, but old friends, and you got a knot with Lil Mix, and now we have this next song with the uh, Olivia Holt that's coming out on you know but none of those songs are they're not not sassy but they're gently like they're i always think of you as like this really like cozy nice like i don't think of you as a sassy person because i don't see I that <laughs> yeah. yeah i think yeah. of myself as a smiley bubble yeah i don't know but i can Do like you- when i'm on stage and when i'm like that it's like more fun you know it's like it's a show and it's something the fans go nuts over when I like snap or when I shake my booty and I do a dance, like I notice that reaction. There's definitely power to it. And it inspires, if it inspires a lot of people to be confident and strong in their opinion, I was like, cool, I'll do that. Like sometimes I need a good push. (laughs) Are you already thinking about what the album would be after having a child slash this Christmas album? Like, I mean, are you thinking that far ahead? Or are you I know 
I know that I want to put out like an EP or something of lullabies. Like I always knew I was going to do that since I was like 13. So I got to get that done. Oh, everyone's on my door. Um, I got to get that one done before my fourth album. And yeah, I have two more albums with this label. So I got to get going. I got to keep working. Yeah. Contract. We're going to go to the next segment. It's a five for five. I'm going to name five things you can just, you know, people and you can tell me the first thing that comes off your head. And to be honest, it'll probably be more than five. Um, Let's go with, let's start with Ricky Reed. Oh, Um, I just give like a line of what I think about him. I mean, it's like uh, whatever comes off the top of your head. I'm just going to name a few people and you can just tell me what you think. Like too musically talented for his own good. I don't know. (laughs) That's a good one. Uh, Um, (laughs) Carla Wallace. Oh, my sweet Southern mama. I like that. Let's go with Kevin Kadish. Wow, you really hit me with these ones. Um, Kevin Kadish. Like a mastermind? I don't know. I don't know how to, like, kind of like, you know how Charlie Puth is with, like, his wizardry? Where he knows Mm -hmm. more than you even know what he's thinking about? Kevin's one of those guys. Let's go with your brothers, Ryan and Justin. My bros! uh, My best friends and the coolest guys ever. We have to go with Gary and Kelly, your parents. Gary and Kelly, selfless, loving humans. My mom's literally bringing in my mail for me right now. I thank you, mother. You're the greatest. Hi, Kelly. Jesus, <laughs> hi. Jesus, hi. Uh, okay. Uh, Daryl, your husband. Daryl. Oh, um, one of a kind. No one else in the world is as nice and loving as him I like that well thank you for doing and the writer is this is your are we already first. done well we can go as long as you want you got anything else no, you no, want to say here to be honest yeah. actually like I, I I know I said this earlier what you would say to younger you um but what would you say to a young artist that's in a in a you know this is a different time we're in you know, a TikTok world of everybody looking at you and doing all these things and you're a real songwriter, you know, what's the advice you give to somebody who's a real songwriter who wants to make it in this time? Um, I want t-shirts that say write about it. Like any emotion, any feeling that hits you, anything that happens to your friends or like someone going through loss or you like take that, write about it, write songs about it. You'll only get better especially if you want to be an artist nowadays. I don't know. It just, it gave me so much power when I walked in a room, even if they didn't believe that I was the writer, I would get to prove it to them. And that felt like so much power and confidence. There's a lot in that when you actually know what you're doing. So keep practicing. Dreams can come true if you work hard enough. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, to be honest, here's, you know, so thank you again for doing this. And, uh, it's hard to I, it's hard to imagine somebody in a session with you, you know, five years ago when we first started writing together. I think it was actually that long ago, by the way. Jesus. Four, 
<laughs> five years. So if it, you know, it's hard to imagine somebody saying, oh, you don't know how this should go because you, you do have a lot of that same ability to hear what the production, what the vocal production is going to be while you're writing it. And it's not like you're co-writing with a bunch of people who've never written songs before or who also don't have some unique capabilities. But it always seemed like you had a good idea of, you know, who you could be. You know, there's, you know, watching Dolly Parton documentaries or listening to the Dolly Parton documentaries or whatever, or, you know, these, these Bonnie Raitts or these people who like have this ability to be so honest and truthful in the way they write, you can tap into some things that your peers cannot tap into. Not because they don't want to tap into, but they don't have the, the actual uh, musicianship or the acumen to do it. So, you know, I'm always excited to see what you come out with next. I always love writing with you because odds are we're going to have something that's pretty good. And it, it's not like it's all, you know, it's, I just know that you'll, you, you always come in with something spectacular, whether you know it's in you yet or not. By the end of the session, we're like, man, that was a fun session. That's a real good song. Yes. You know, and, and it's just not by accident. You know, you 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 carry yourself in a studio like, I mean, it's not like we're the same age. It feels like you've been in a studio your whole life. It's really impressive. And and I uh, I just, you know, congratulations on all the things you have going on, but that you've just accomplished so far and uh, and for having a, a better sweater than I have on right now. So, Bro, that's the nicest words anyone's literally ever said to me. That was so beautiful. Wow. Thank you so much. <laughs> Ditto. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't you don't have to repay it. I'm just telling you as your friend. I you miss know, you. I miss riding with y'all. I'm too scared. I haven't taken any sessions because I'm too terrified. And I've never done Zoom ones. I I love the Zoom thing. I, really? This is gonna be a weird addendum to this to this long interview, but yeah. um, I I love it. Okay, I mean, I gotta try it. The you know the fun parts of being a human and being in the room with other humans and trying. You know, a, a friend of ours said recently talking about how they miss just spending an hour and a half figuring out what to order for lunch. Yeah, you know. Um, I can see that being that would be nice to spend a couple of days like that, you know, because you never yeah. know when like, hey, that's a good idea. But there's an efficiency to Zoom. And somebody was saying the other day, they're like, this is, uh, you know, at the end, the songs are always like are often really good because really? everyone has a system in front of them. So everyone's doing vocal production. Everyone's doing things yeah. when there's your best ideas but it doesn't necessarily make the the room environment like fun the same yeah it's so kind of like it, work it it becomes a little bit of work but if you're with your friends in yeah, a way then be fun. You spend a, couple, a couple hours you know with people that you like even if it's over zoom i'm gonna try it i'm gonna do it <laughs> yeah crazy well when do you do um, February. Nobody knows. Shit. New Year's. The new year. <laughs> I'm done. All right. I Over said there. nothing. 
No one will ever hear that. They don't know. Who cares? My husband. Like, <laughs> yeah. tell tell him I say hi too. He's like hi. All you- They're all behind me, just watching. I love he it. He waved. They're okay. good people. Thank you for letting me do this. Finally, I love this show. Podcast. Yeah. All right. I will talk to you soon. Bye. Okay. Bye, Ross. Thanks for listening to this episode of And The Writer Is. If you want to hear music from this songwriter I just interviewed, be sure to check out our Spotify playlist or visit our website at andthewriteris.com. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to us. You can also like us on Facebook and Twitter. And The Writer Is is produced by Joe London, edited by Miles Bergsma, and published by Big Deal Music. A special thanks to David Silberstein from Mega House Music and Michael White. Until next time, this is Ross Golden. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner 3 days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.